Hello, this is Ruth Haley Barton, and you are listening to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a good friend. Uh, Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means that we have been on the transformational journey together, laughing, sometimes crying, growing, and experiencing Christ's transforming presence in community with other leaders. Thanks, Ruth. This season, we're working through, talking through, and praying through one of our transforming resources, The Deeper Journey by M. Robert Mulholland Jr. Creating space to hear from God is the most strategic thing you can do in your leadership, whether you're leading in a church or in some other setting. So if you find yourself wondering if you're sacrificing the health of your heart and soul for the sake of ministry, consider joining the next Transforming Community, a practice-based spiritual formation experience for leaders offered in nine quarterly retreats. Learn more and apply by visiting transformingcenter.org TC. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Uh, Ruth, Mulholland calls this the idol in the box when he talks about the religious false self. And I know we've talked quite a bit in the last episode about the false self. What does he mean by the religious false self? Well, I personally, Steve, think that this is the most convicting part of the book for any of us who are Christians and who are, you know, religious in that sense. Um, so he talks about the religious false self as being the, the part of us that now brings God into it. So he says the essential difference between a false self and a religious false self is that the latter, the religious false self, brings God into its life. Our religious false self may begin with a genuine experience with God, but then, like Peter on the mountain of transfiguration, we often seek to contain our experience within a box of our own making. Um, so, you know, Mulholland draws our attention to some of the people in the New Testament where Jesus was the most scathing, the religious false selves of the Pharisees, um, calling them whitewashed tombs. Um, talks about this self-generated effort at attaining holiness for themselves, for their own purposes, rather than it being the fruit of a loving union with God. So this is the, this is the deep, deep uh, journey right here um, for those of us who are Christians, and particularly probably those of us who are in leadership in particular, because we have created a life around the religious false self, right? Yeah, we're, yep. we're convinced that we're doing everything for God and for others when the truth is that we're also using God to our own ends and for our own agendas. And that's the other thing that Mulholland talks about is that the religious false self is using God now for our own agenda. Um, while it might look good on the outside, we are um, using God now to get what we want out of life um, and using the religious false self as a way to get ahead in some ways. And also, of course, it's a place where we're not in loving union with God at all. We're just using right. God for our own purposes, which is really tragic. So, you know, Mulholland talks about the fact early on that it is really hard, that this is the hardest thing for us to acknowledge, um, the religious false self, um, because we think, you know, that it can be fixed, I think, pretty easily, or that it's just something that's happening on the surface. We don't realize how deep it goes. So, Steve, why do you think it's so hard to acknowledge 
the false self and the religious false self. That resonates with me and it made me wonder, why is it so hard for us to acknowledge this? Does this go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve are hiding their true selves from God? I think this is one of the very deepest uh, struggles that human beings have is that we want to be in control of our own lives, of our destiny, and even of others. And and I love what Mulholland says here. We continually tinker with the idol we call God in futile efforts to upgrade the idol and make it more suitable for us and more under our control instead of letting God be the God that is named to Moses as I will be what I will be. So it's to me, I am so uncomfortable with being out of control of a God who continually wants to show up in new ways. Mm, yeah. Oh, oh, what about you? I mean, what, uh, how would you answer that? I would say that for myself, it might be shame, you know, that mm. I don't want to acknowledge the false self because I'll feel ashamed of myself, you know? Mm if I acknowledge the fact that I have used God in any way for my own ends or for my own agendas, um, or that my false self is in any way involved, you know, in my relationship with God. So I think I want to avoid the feeling of shame as well, that, that we're not any better at the level of motive, you know, we're not I any better, no better than, than my ancestors yeah, <laughs> at the level of, at the level of our motive. Um, and I think that, the way that we've been doing life on our own terms is what we're most comfortable with. So to let that go, even the religious parts of it, um, it's really hard to do because then, then we're not, again, back to your word of control, then we're not in control at all. We're not doing life the way we're accustomed to doing it. And then, you know, we're waiting on God to come in and do what needs to be done in our lives. And I don't think human, any human being does that easily. I don't think human beings. No prefer to let someone else be in control so much of what we work on as human beings from the age two when we're trying to have a sense of mm -hmm. agency when the word mm -hmm. is no you know yeah right then we're beginning this journey of trying to be in control and uh, acknowledging the false self means we're going to have to let it go and do life in a fundamentally different abandoned surrendered sort of way do you think part of it is to like people don't know what to do with us. Like if you were to start to live that way, uh, abandoned and not in control and not distinction making around this belief or that belief, people start to like, they don't know how to relate to you because it's mm -hmm. so utterly different from how normal, <laughs> normal, how typically uh, we interact. And what do we do yeah. with that? I mean, yeah. Well, I think like you said earlier, when you talked about people leaving your church, that we can't obsess about that. We right. can't obsess about the people that can't go with us where we're going. And this happens, you know, in my own setting as well, where for different reasons, people embark, they start the journey, but then it becomes too challenging and they abort the mission. Um, and it's painful, I will say, um, because we, you know, we do feel like there's something that we're moving towards it's really good but if people aren't ready then you can't obsess about that you just as jesus did with the rich young ruler you have to feel sad and then let them go and i i you know i i love that part of that story where jesus felt sad but he still yeah. let him go 
He didn't chase after him, didn't try to convince him of anything, felt sad and let him go. Mm. I have to do that too sometimes if this abandoned way doesn't make any sense. Because the alternative is to sit there and try to convince someone of something or get sucked into the wrong conversation and a, right. and a different construct of who God really is. And then you get confused and you lose your own way. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, if you're not willing to walk away sad, that's yeah. a, t that's a, that's a, for those that's of what? us that are in Christian leadership though, let's not skip over that too quickly. It is really difficult to allow someone to walk away and just be sad and not right. try to chase after them and not feel bad right. about yourself or feel like something's totally wrong with you that they left. Another way in which the religious false self functions that um, Mulholland talks about is talking about a fanatically religious false self where rigorous religious practices, devoted discipleship, sacrificial service, deeper devotional activities may do nothing more than turn a nominally religious false self into a fanatically religious false self. Goodness gracious. <laughs> but I mean, so I think that what Mulholland is saying here is that, you know, that can become our own agenda versus God's 100%. agenda for us. And the religious false self can become quite fanatical in moments like that. Well, he brings back this list, Ruth, which I'm I'm not too wild about, but he does. Fearful protective. <laughs> I thought we were done with that. And then I got to this chapter and there it is again. Uh, we're just going to hit it like a layer he's gonna, deeper. He's going to drop the plow. I can just feel it. Well, Ruth Mulholland exquisitely um, brings back these characteristics of the false self, but now he's going to really frame them within the religious false self, uh, fearful, protective, possessive, manipulative, destructive, self-promoting, indulgent, and distinction-making. Uh, which one of those shimmers for you as something you think is important to, to name? Oh, Steve, I th this chapter is so dense in the best way. I mean, it's just like every word and every phrase and every category is just pregnant yeah. with meaning and with depth that we need to plumb. But I'm going to mention two. The first one is protection that he says, whenever our identity is rooted in an idol that we call God, in other words, our own construct for God, we become very protective of that God. And then our religious false self constructs strong fortifications of theology, doctrine, dogma, and liturgy to contain and protect God. Wow. Our God mm -hmm. is what is what he says, like the right. construct that we've created. Um, and then we develop lists of do's and don'ts that define the practices for us and things like that. I see this one a lot in, in my own work, um, is that whenever you're pushing beyond what people um, are comfortable with, as it has to do with God and, and how one knows God, that that there's a fear, and this protection is very connected with fear, that there's a fear that we are being heretical. You know, there's something about what we're saying or doing that's heretical. And then people kind of rise up and try to become defenders of the faith, or they try to protect God. And and it always surprises me because I just don't feel God needs to be protected. Yeah. I think God's very capable of protecting God's self. And whenever we take that role, then I think we miss out on what God is calling us to, uh, beauties and aspects of God and ways of knowing God that might be new for us, but that are part of our tradition and that God doesn't need protection against. And so if we could pay attention to those moments when 
fear rises up as protective and protecting God to remind ourselves, hmm, God doesn't need protecting. God's very yeah. capable of protecting God's <laughs> self. That's not our job. Yeah. Um, and what, what am I afraid of? You know, what's the worst thing that could happen here? You know, um, anyway, so I think watching for that protection that comes from the religious false self. And then um, I've already talked a lot about self-promotion because I think that one, that one's really, really significant and, and really cuts deep into our cultural patterns right now. But I also want to call attention to indulgence. And I just wonder what Bob would be saying if he were here now watching our church leaders uh, fall and fail in, in different moral ways. Um, and I don't think it would surprise him. He's always seemed to me to be um, almost not matter of fact, because there was a gravitas to it, but he had a sense of how and why it happened. And so mm -hmm. on that level, he didn't be surprised. But um, indulgence, he says that there is a different kind of indulgence practiced by our religious false self. Often our religious false self will be characterized by indulgence in behaviors that are clearly contrary to Christ-likeness and even contrary to the standards of our religious false self itself. So the religious false self thinks it's fine and doing well, but it's accepting behaviors that actually are very counter to that false self. Our religious false self may justify such behavior as a reward for being so religious in other areas. We may claim that this indulgence is earned because so much has been sacrificed to be religious. And one of the most recent moral failures of a very high-profile leader in the investigation that they did on this, these words were actually used. You yeah. know, this is my reward for working so hard um, for God. Um, and an, an indulgence that had to do with the fact that this person had served God for a long time. It was painful to read. In fact, it makes my stomach hurt even now as I say it, that yeah. the kinds of sexual behaviors that he engaged in and what he did to other women to um, coerce them into those behaviors, he used this very language of this is my reward for serving God so fully. I deserve this. Um, and that is a thread throughout many of the stories that we're hearing right now, that there's this sense that the leader is above it, the leader is above um, what standards apply to other people because they've been so faithful in serving God, because they're working so hard for God. This is my reward. So while on the one hand and for everybody else, they would say it's that's a sinful behavior for themselves. They indulge themselves because they're working so hard for God that they feel that they deserve it. It's just heartbreaking, Steve. It's just yeah. heartbreaking, this thread and this theme of indulgence throughout uh, some of the moral failings that have become so public lately. And I just pray that we can all watch ourselves for that. Oh, I do too. And it makes my stomach sick as well. Um, as we know, it's still happening in mm -hmm. ways that haven't been uncovered yet in certain spheres. And, and it makes yeah. me sick. Um, and, you know, these things are subtle and we too could incorporate that kind of an indulgent attitude towards ourselves if we're not careful. And so I just pray that we take seriously what Bob is teaching us about yeah. the religious false self, take it very, very seriously and have, yeah. I, I rarely use the word accountability, but I do think that we need support around ourselves um, yeah. through strong Christian community to make sure that these don't become our thought patterns as well. 
Yeah. And, and, and systems need to do a better job of keeping people accountable who are unable to keep unable to bring our false selves to the table. You know, I mean, that, that needs to be said as well. Um, so. How about you, Steve? What struck you? I mean, I just think he's hitting every nail on the head in this section. So what struck (laughs) you? He is, and it's painful. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, manipulation is the one that struck me. And so I've even thinking about that word, literally thinking about like what a chiropractor does. I just saw my chiropractor yesterday and, and they literally, he puts his hands on my back and my neck and he manipulates it so that it moves in a certain way that it wouldn't otherwise. And I think about that in terms of leaders with people, how we manipulate people to think the way we think, even very subtly about the construct of God that we have uh, to to care about the things that we care about, rather than inviting them to be on a journey toward a loving union with God, which might take them to places that we would never imagine. Um, and so, when we manipulate people, and this can, this is done, this is done so subtly you know, hmm. uh, in, in ways that you, probably without some serious reflection, you aren't, I'm not even aware that I'm even necessarily doing yeah. it. There's manipulating people. There's also, of course, m- the idea of manipulating God to take, to say, yes. God, I, yeah. I would like you to, to do my bidding. And we hmm. never would say that, like, that's what's so, um, so slippery about it. We don't think we're doing it. But that's the nature of the religious false self when we try to get God to sign on to our pet projects. And um, so that's what that's what sticks out for me. I think I'm doing it without even knowing it, this one more than others. And I need to bring my false self to bear through self-examination and, and other things. Yeah, I think a couple of other words that can really relate to that is transactional, you know, like making our yeah. relationship with God transactional. Like if I do this for you, you I expect yeah. you to do this for me. Um, Mulholland also uses the word acquisition, you know, that we do mm-hmm. things to acquire things from God um, to get something for ourselves rather than a desire to abandon ourselves to God. So those are serious internal dynamics that nobody else is really going to probably be able to see those as clearly as we will. And so it's a place of examine again, God, show me what I don't know and see in myself. And I'll give you an example of something I talked about in the Advent season about how God was maybe inviting me into a season of less public, less, you know, less putting my words out there and more receiving. What I really realized in, in my, you know, my, my book writing career is that I really thought that my book writing career was going to lead me to be able to make a choice. Or I could say I can either have a, you know, a career as being a pastor or being this public writer figure. And when the book sales just did not bear that out, I came. Oh, I hate really, Oh my goodness! Yes, <laughs> they. It just. It just. You know. So that that option was just not an option. I came to realize that this good thing that I think that I am doing. I think writing books is a good thing. I think I'm a writer, and I'm. I'm. I think, hopefully, inviting people on journeys it became a thing where I was trying to manipulate my calling. Mm-hmm. And I've had to really wrestle that one down and say, actually, whatever my calling will be, what it is now is a, is a pastor to a group of people. And I can't, and I would have, if, if my books would have sold enough copies to where I would have had the real option of leaving, I might have left. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been my false self 
and not a real leading. It would have been my false self saying, I want that. I mm. want that career instead of the one that I really have. Mm -hmm. And that was a painful one for me to hit. And I didn't hit it by myself. I hit it through my spiritual director, my yeah. wife. Mm -hmm. And, but, but now I know, you know, now I know that that is what I was doing. So yes, that's how slippery it is. Yeah. It's, it's very, yes. And that sounds, that sounds really true. And, um, it's good for you for paying attention to how God was leading, you know, through the really concrete thing like book sales, you know, that it's interesting how God uses these things for our discernment when we're seeking it, when we're open to it. Yeah. Well, you know, we mentioned in the last episode that Bob calls Paul the expert in the religious false self. How would you like to be? How would you like to be described that way? <laughs> but That's but that is bold. what he says. Yep, he's an expert in the religious false self, and you can't argue with him. Um, Paul really was killing people in God's name and thought he was doing the right thing, which. Yeah. To me, it's just so alarming. I mean, it's just so alarming that we can be that deluded. And I don't think Paul's the only one. I really right. don't. Right. Um, he says that Paul thought he was in a perfect relationship with God only to discover how wrong he was. So a question is, you know, to, we could ask ourselves if we're humble enough is to say, is there any place, God, in my life where I'm doing that? You know, where I think everything's all good, but I'm actually working against you. Um, and that's what the false self does is the false self is actually working against God, even under religious trappings, because that's what Paul was doing yep. under religious trappings. That's the religious false self. So to even have that specific um, example. But, you know, Bob has a really big section in here on Paul and on Colossians in particular and, and some of the uh, ways in which Scripture describes the fact that we have died with Christ um, we've been raised with Christ, therefore put to death and put on, you know, he talks about that language. Um, and he, he says that the, the, that Paul is actually stating at the death of that in the death of Christ, the totality of our false self was confirmed as dead. And I read that and I'm like, theologically, I understand that, but on an experiential level, how come the false self still feels so alive? So alive. You know, yeah. like theologically we say, you know, we've died, you know, with Christ, but in reality, it feels like the false self is very much alive and well. I'm going to ask you the question: um, How is it that that at the cosmic level, um, our false self has died, but that in real life, it just feels like we're fighting it all the time? That it's just alive and well. Yeah. Well, thanks for throwing that question to me, Ruth. I really appreciate yeah, that. Welcome. That was very gracious of you. I am hanging on your every word. <laughs> but I think for me. Um, it, it highlights the mystery of union with Christ because part of our union with Christ is uniting with him in his death. And we can't um, rest in a theological distinction as it relates to our false self. It's died. You can move on. We actually have to take that, we have to experience that death with Christ of our false self. And I think it has to happen more than once. And so that's how I would answer it. It's, it's a truth that keeps on being true. And it's a truth mm -hmm. that transcends 
something that you can write on a wall and nail nail on to a door along with 94 other theses it's something that has to be lived over and over again for it to really be true um you know and again am i saved from my sin through christ's work on the cross and is that all christ 100 percent? but i'm looking for something that is i'm looking for union with god here and, and if i am looking for union with god here then i have to have union with Christ and his death. Mm -hmm. Well, and Bob really does define, you know, the cross where we're supposed to take up our cross and follow Jesus. He defines that as the place where we know we are not like Christ, that that is our cross. That is what we carry. And um, I think, you know, since we are recording in Lent, um, I think the meaning of the cross is something that we really are reflecting on in this yeah. season. And so I found that to be really helpful that our cross is not that irritating person or right. the, the tough marriage or whatever, but that our cross is the place where we are not like Christ and we know it and we see it and we pick up our cross, that place that's so hard and choose to follow. And we, we say, no, I'm not going that way with this today. I'm going towards abandonment and surrender to God today. I might not get it right every time, but today I'm picking up my cross and I'm going to walk it out um, in a new way and in a different way. And so there is an immediacy. There's a day in, day out, bit by bit part of this journey where we see that place where we're not abandoned and surrendered. By God's grace, we see it. Mm -hmm. Then we pick up our cross right there and choose surrender. That, yes. that, is, that is the deeper journey right there that begins with seeing. It begins with being able to see the place where we're not like Christ or where we're not surrendered. So, um, but anyway, I just, uh, I yes. just couldn't help but comment about the disparity between the theological reality of the fact that we are, you know, we've died with Christ and the fact that the false self does still seem to be alive and active, at least in my life someday, Steve. I don't know about you, but in my yes. life, <laughs> in my life, it does too, as is evidenced by my, you know, by my book sales and that my my <laughs> my attempted at escape at my calling through a through a really good thing um but i also think the bible you know is not cl as clear as we would want it to be on this issue either that it's definitively saying our sins are forgiven and it's also definitively saying our false self needs to be crucified over and over again with christ you know so yeah. like if we're looking for a clear answer better look yeah. elsewhere. Well, and I think the bottom line, of course, is that it is this growth in loving union and back to the marriage idea. Um, you know, you and I have both been married to our spouses for a very long time and it's a growth in union and that union grows each and every time we're able to lay down ourselves yeah. appropriately and embrace, um, the behaviors and the actions and the attitudes that make union possible right? And it's a growth in union. And I, that, that feels important to me too, that this journey from the false self to discovering our true self in God, which is all about surrender, um, that happens over time yeah. as we seek union, you know? Yeah, bit by which bit. Which is more right. than just the ecstatic experiences. It's, it's day to day, every day, laying down my preferences, my self-referencedness so I can live in union with this person, you know? So mm. the journey with God is, is, I think, very similar to that. And we can take notes. I agree. Whew. 
And that's, again, it's day by day, moment by moment, bit by bit. Right. doesn't happen all at once, and that's okay. That's part of the grace. Well, there are a few questions that he offers up at the end of this chapter three, and I thought maybe we could sit in silence like we usually do, uh, open, candlelit, feet on the floor, with our whole bodies just as open to God as we can be, and hear these questions first, sit with them for a moment, and then I'll close us with one of his prayers. So try not to um, resist anything here. Try not to make excuses or rationalize. Try not to think too hard about anything, but just let come what comes and trust that there's truth in it. The first question is, are you on a genuine quest for radical abandonment to God in love? Or are you simply seeking a stronger form of the religious false self? I think this is very penetrating question for us as leaders in particular. Am I on a genuine quest for radical abandonment to God in love, or am I simply seeking a stronger form of the religious false self? Do I want God in my life on my terms? or on God's terms for me? Do I want God in my life on my terms or on God's terms for me? How much of my present spirituality is an expression of the religious false self? How much, how outwardly focused is it? How much of my present spirituality is an expression of my religious false self? And is my journey energized by the desire to get something for myself spiritually? Or is my journey energized by the desire to abandon myself to God? To get something for myself? Or is it energized by the desire to abandon myself to God? Holy mystery, you who are over all and through all and in all, You who are the source of my true being, help me to hear what you're saying to me in and through these thoughts and ideas. Would you meet me at the points of my resistance? Would you make my awareness of resistance a place of transforming grace? Even at the points where I quickly agree, help me to open to the deeper dimensions of your truth that I might be avoiding by my easy ascent. And may this, these reflections on the religious false self, as uncomfortable as they might be, help them to become a place of transforming encounter with you 
Keep me here for as long as I need to be kept. Keep me from abandoning these ideas too quickly when you're still trying to be at work. And I pray this together with Christ and the Holy Spirit, the source of my true life now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this podcast has strengthened the soul of your leadership in some way today. We're recording these during the Lenten season, and all our current podcast patrons have received the digital version of our updated resource, Lent, A Season of Returning. Right now, when you become a patron at any level, you'll immediately receive this popular resource written by Ruth Haley Barton. Support from our patrons is the engine that keeps this podcast going, so we invite you to visit transformingcenter.org patron today and become a patron. Your support at any level is so encouraging.